0: And now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today's guest probably needs no introduction, but I'll introduce her anyway. Uh, I have Zahn back on the podcast with me. So Zahn Valines is a feminist activist and writer who focuses on misogyny in motherhood and marriage. Her work argues that mothers are central to the feminist project and that fathers must participate equally in household and parenting labor. She believes that inequality in marriage is a primary driver of sexism and that it limits women's lives and futures. Holla! Her weekly Feminist Advice Friday series advises people about how to live better and more just lives and how to use their relationships as pathways to liberation and joy. Zahn also has an amazing Substack that you should subscribe to and that we will link to in the show notes. Pay for it. She deserves it. And what, what else can I say? It's Zahn. Here she is. Zahn, welcome back to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. So, you know, we were going to talk about all sorts of things. We were going to talk about quiet quitting and emotional dependency and all sorts of things. But before we hit record, you told me about a story uh, and we decided to switch gears. And so um, I don't know very much about this. Uh, You do. (laughs) So... Why don't you tell our audience what it is that uh, that we're going to talk about? Tell us about the story. So, yeah. So there's this
1: story that just came out of this woman, a former attorney, Catherine Youssef Kasanoff, who was married to another attorney who was at a big law law firm. So lots of power, lots of money on his side. She and her husband divorced in like 2019. And at some point she started going public with the ways he had abused her, including while she had cancer. There's videos, there's photos. And, you know, he basically used the family courts as a tool of abuse. He, you know, they paid evaluators who, you know, acted as extensions of him. He, it's clear he was basically Uh trying to bankrupt her into submission and she ultimately, her cancer came back. She was diagnosed with terminal cancer and she elected for a physician-assisted suicide so that she did not have to continue dealing with the family courts. And he even denied her last wish of seeing her children before she died. It's an extreme case of abuse because she died. But what what she writes happened and what her photos and videos and et cetera show happened is I think very typical of the ways that men use family court systems to abuse women and the way that family courts are complicit in that where, Mm -hmm. you know, abuse of women and children doesn't matter, but alienating
0: children from their fathers does. That's right. That's right. That's more important, right? It's more important that a, um, a child continue to be in relationship with an abusive parent because, well, they, he, they never abused the kid. Right. Like that's, that's the, that's the line. That's the line of family court. Well, they were never abusive to the child. So um, they just abused the mother, uh, which we all know. Well, and even if they have, you know, Mm -hmm. abusing the mother is
1: abusing the child, but also you and I know that even, (laughs) even in cases where they have abused the child, there's this weird thing. The courts have done where everyone now accepts that if you have a messed up relationship with your father, that's going to mess you up. And what they have decided is that the best way to treat this is that if someone has a messed up relationship with their father, you should force them to have a relationship with their father and, and that'll fix it. And I've actually seen this. I've seen judges say this. I've seen, you know, custody evaluators say this. It's it's just bonkers crazy. So there's that. And, and then there's this idea and and the thing that underlies all of this is that children aren't human beings children are property and men are entitled to their property yes
0: so well said so well said this case you know because again i don't i don't know very much about it cuz we just you, you just asked me if i knew about it just before we started recording she was clearly she was close to death anyway right cuz she was terminal right. but she really just said I'm not going to spend the rest of my life, however much time, however little time I have left being dragged through the court. Right.
1: And, you know, he had done things like falsely claimed that there was a restraining order against her to try to get her arrested. A lot of attempts to have her arrested. I think I may have even read that she was arrested or was almost arrested, you know, just just total abuse as like a full time job.
0: And this is so common, Um, you know. This is why Caden's Law was added to the Violence Against Women's Act because, and now we have to uh, legislate this in every state. Um, We have one on the books now in California. I think it's Peaky's Law in California, Um, and all of these laws are named after children who are murdered by their fathers because when they can't control us when they can't have the ultimate control over women when we set these clear boundaries they go after our children and Mm -hmm. you know in Caden's case Caden's mother she was an eight year she was eight years old and her mother was begging the courts please don't make my child go to this man he's abusive he's scary um and he's he's made threats against me against the kids, and." Uh, The court said, oh, too bad. And if you are, if you don't send her to uh, the, you know, assigned parenting time uh, with her father, then you will be in violation um, of a court order. And she sent her daughter to her, you know, to this parenting time with her dad and he murdered her. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. So there's this movement afoot now to have this. So Caden's law was, you know, added to the Violence Against Women's Act, but it doesn't make it the law of the land. <laughs> right. So yes. now we have to make it the law in each state. That there are and 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 these laws, Caden's law and the laws that are, you know, have come after it. Right. It, it It's all about. So Cadence law will strengthen our state courts' abilities to recognize and adjudicate domestic violence and child abuse allegations based on valid admissible evidence so that courts can enter orders that protect and minimize the risk of harm to children. But what this what this does this is predicated upon believing women.
1: Right, which we don't. Right. And you know, even when we do and you see it over and over and over again, it's always, well, what did she do? She's not entirely innocent. You know, Uh she's crazy. She cheated on him there. We have this widespread notion that there are things women can do to deserve being abused.
0: Right. And there are things that we can do to avoid it. Right. Right. There are things that we can actually do (laughs) to avoid it. So it's really interesting. So Caden's law has the, 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 the points that are in it. I think there are four specific points. One is to restrict expert testimony to only those who are appropriately qualified to provide it, right? And you were talking about in this case with um, Catherine Youssef, she said that there were, um, he had expert witnesses testify against her, right? And the evaluators that were sort of under his thumb. Do you, Were these people, do you think, not, I mean, obviously they weren't, qualified? Were they qualified? Like, what do we know about these, about these evaluators? You know, I mean, I don't know. And like, it's,
1: it's easy to go down the rabbit hole on that too. And I, I think that's kind of a useful aside actually to get into is that, okay. you know, someone's going to, someone can have a master's degree in counseling or a PhD or whatever, and be still totally unqualified That's right to do much of anything. And, and like, I see this a lot with women who reach out to me mm-hmm. who have been in therapy for years yes. and years and years, years and years and, and years with their abusers.
0: And with their
1: (laughs) abusers. Right. Mm -hmm. With therapists who just suck more and more money out of them and assert complete bullshit. You know, we Mm -hmm. need to talk about Mm -hmm. therapy as like largely a bullshit field. You know, I am a big fan of therapy when it's effective therapy, but most therapy is not effective, most therapy is harmful you know, most therapy is just about endlessly talking about your feelings and not making any progress and not mm-hmm. identifying people are being abused. That's right. And so That's it's, right. it's kind of a red herring to talk about, well, were these people qualified to be custody evaluators? I mean, maybe they went to school for it, you right. know, maybe 30 years ago, they did, they studied developmental psychology, but you know, did they get any training at all on new science in developmental psychology? Do they have any understanding and how to recognize abuse? Um, you know, what biases do they have and what have they done to check those biases? Because we all have biases. Um, you know, it's like the Wild West in mental health. It's it's really like not a, it's not a science right now. It, it can be, there are scientific aspects, but, you know, it, it's, it's not, mental health as a whole is not behaving that way.
0: No, totally. And, you know, one of the things about, that I always, you know, rail about is the fact that um, most mental health professionals and almost all family court judges have zero required training in domestic violence. Right, so, right. right. So one of the things that Caden's law says is about these who are appropriately qualified is that it says evidence from court-appointed or outside professionals regarding alleged abuse may be admitted only when the professional possesses demonstrated expertise and experience in working with victims of domestic violence or child abuse, including child sexual abuse. So what, so what Caden's law is asking is it it is asking for people who are testifying in abuse cases to actually have expertise and experience in working with abuse.
1: Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's just so entry-level and basic. It's just appalling. And then, you know, I mean, the other aspect of this is it doesn't matter how many qualifications a person has, if they're charging you, you know, $270,000 for their expert opinion. And, you know, that's the other thing that goes on here is that people have to pay for these experts and the court will often mandate that they hire an expert and then they have to pay for the expert. Right. Um. You know, I was, I was telling my husband last night. So my husband is a lawyer who's been practicing for years and years and years and is mm-hmm. like, widely considered an expert in his field. And I was telling him about the rates that some of these so-called custody experts get. And he just like, he didn't believe me. He was like, there is no way someone is getting $600 an hour for this.
0: Um, But like, they are, they are, they are. And for, and what are, how are they like, what are the metrics? Right. Again, speaking of the science, right. Like what are the metrics? It's like, it's their bias. It's their opinion, But based Mm -hmm. on based on what?
1: Yeah, um, like I'll give I'll actually tell you a a personal story about a custody evaluator. So someone who I know where they were the the couple was never married and they were not together at the birth of the child. They got a custody evaluator involved. So Mm -hmm. the mom hired the custody evaluator and the custody evaluator said basically that the child should not be away from the mom for more than a couple of hours while she was a baby and yeah. should then move toward more and more time with the dad so that was the custody evaluator's first opinion mm. then a couple of years later the dad hired the same custody evaluator who happily took on that job and then gave an opposite opinion that the mother was crazy and abusive and then a couple of years later The mom rehired that custody evaluator, and she's now the. Why? Yeah, she's now the shared custody evaluator that they both have to pay, and like the opinions that she gives are not rooted in any reality anywhere at this point. Just like completely made up shit about developmental psychology. Wow. So this is a person who will just say whatever she is paid to say, and happily switch sides back and forth with no regard for this child
0: based on whoever's paying her it seems yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah you know and this is the, this is a similar thing with reunification camps um therapies right because there's money in this there's a lot exactly. of money in this that yeah. goes back into the court did you ever see the movie divorce corp oh no i haven't heard of that i've never oh. seen it yeah it's really good um it's You know, it basically sort of exposes how the family court system is pretty much kind of its own thing. It's sort of like its own kind of rogue thing, and how much kickbacks and money, like you know, judges get for uh, recommending things like reunification camps and and evaluators. It's uh, it's such a broken. It's such an incredibly broken system. I want to go back to. Um, Catherine Youssef Kasanoff, you know, she she writes that after she's gone, she knows that he's gonna falsely tell everyone that she's mentally ill and a criminal and a liar. Right. Right. Yeah. And so she's actually asking us, she's asking everybody to um use our voices and uh make her case more uh public. Um and as you brought to my attention. Uh Jess Taylor, Dr. Jess Taylor um writes about it on her Substack, what would Jess say? So, and and he's using Darvo, basically, right? I mean, this is when when <laughs> when the Darvo is deny, attack, and reverse victim and offender. Right. So you want to talk right. a little bit about, about that and how that plays into uh,
1: Yeah, so I think like this I mean you know, DARVO is not exclusively a gender thing, So, but it's a great model for understanding like all kinds of abuse. But then there is this gendered component built on top of it where people can very effectively DARVO with sexism. So here's what that looks like. It looks like there are no standards at all for being a father. None. Like if you're a father, you're good and worthy of praise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just being present is enough. The standards for motherhood are such that no matter what you are doing, it is wrong. And so, (laughs) you know, people like this guy will find the one time back in 2014 that she was like naked with like an avocado mask on and like slightly raised her voice to her children. And see, she's crazy. And we as a society kind of want to believe that because that caters to our idea of like the hysterical, irrational, uncool, gross woman. And it doesn't matter how many times he screamed at or hit the kids or did anything to the kids. You know, if he can find one time that she was anything other than perfect, like that's enough. She's an abusive monster. And so we start with this like uneven playing field of men don't have to do anything and women have to do everything. And if you can find one instance where the woman didn't do everything, she's abusive. She sucks. She brought it all on herself. So that's kind of like Mm -hmm. how these dynamics play out. And then on top of that, You know, abusive men, family courts, family members will play on other stereotypes. So, for example, a woman will calmly and rationally, without emotion, explain what her husband has done to her. Mm -hmm. And she'll get, I don't know why you have to be so emotional and hysterical. You need to calm down. Um, meanwhile, the man's like breaking tables and screaming and anger is not an emotion. So we have like all these sexist Mm -hmm. beliefs that are, are really easy to activate with just a tiny bit of evidence. And we have basically no expectations of men at all. So just like a man breathing, that's fine. That's all he needs to do.
0: That's right. That's right. A man. And, you know, and then we have this whole, like, you know, he's a, oh, but he's a good dad. He just abuses me. He's a good dad. He just, you know, he's a little he's a little punitive or he hasn't read any of Mm -hmm. the uh, any of the parenting books. Right. Like (laughs) what? Let's run down the list of like the things that women say have different standards.
1: They just have Uh different standards. You know, he has a trauma history.
0: He has untreated
1: autism you know, uh-huh. oh, that's he,
0: a, yep. he's, mm-hmm.
1: he's actually a really good dad. And it's like all of these excuses and every single excuse when you flip it around on the woman, it doesn't work. So, you know, we use mental illness as an excuse for men all the time, mm-hmm. um, even though the data show us that women are diagnosed with mental illness and neurodivergence much, much, much more frequently than men. There are a lot of reasons for that. You know, I don't think women are innately mentally ill, but that's the reality. And so, you know, women get diagnosed with postpartum depression or anxiety or PTSD or whatever. And we use that against them as a way to undermine everything they say. We say, oh, is this your postpartum depression talking? Maybe you just need therapy for that and it's not your husband's problem. You're being irrational. Well, you need to try more around the house and then maybe he'll step in, that sort of shit. When a man has not even a diagnosed mental health issue, but a speculative mental health issue that some rando on like a mommy board has decided he might have. It's, uh-huh. well, but he might have autism. And so he doesn't have to do anything ever, let alone seek treatment. Right. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. And all of these things are, you know, my response to these things when they come up on my pages are, you know, that that may be true, but that certainly doesn't. Um, you know, there are a lot of people with autism who aren't abusive. And it also is not, you know, it's it's really not that fucking hard. I mean, it's hard, but it's really not that complicated about what it takes to show up to be right. a parent.
1: Well, and that's right? really what is at the base of all of this is that parenting is hard. It requires, you know, emotional intelligence and planning and That aspect of it is very challenging. So the first thing is we don't want to recognize that parenting is a skill that you can be better at or worse at, because we don't want to recognize that women have any skills. But then the second component is that we want to make whether or not someone is engaged in present parenting really, really complicated You know, we we want to we want to throw out all these red herrings of he has autism. He has trauma. He's working outside the home and she's only working part time. He's sad because feminism hurt his feelings one time in 1994. Well, one time a girl wouldn't have sex with him. She won't have sex with him. She won't swallow. It's like all these stupid ass excuses that have nothing whatsoever to do with the fact that he's an asshole. Like we don't make these excuses when women do it. We never, ever, ever say, well he's not giving her orgasm. So I guess it's okay for her to beat the kids. Or, you know, he uh-huh. sucks at sex. So I guess it's okay for her to not do any chores ever, forever. Or, uh-huh. well, she has autism. And I guess that means it's okay for her to just not do anything around the house. So it's it's this twofold thing of the work that women do isn't work, isn't skill, doesn't matter. And the work that men doesn't don't do has like a ton of complicated explanations when it's mm-hmm. it really boils
0: down to if he wanted
1: to do it, he would do
0: it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it's such, you know, it's really, it really is such a I was just reading on your Substack. Um, you know, this woman wrote in, she said it's infidelity abusive, right? And you, God, God love you, right? You are. You know, I'm, I'm blunt and I tell it like it is, but nobody tells it as, as it is the way that you do. And, you know, you were like, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't love you enough to actually like take responsibility. And it's like, damn, (laughs) right? Like, Ooh, ouch. But like, yeah. Well, and that's like
1: another, so that woman wrote in and her husband had been cheating like their entire relationship. And had ostensibly Mm -hmm. stopped. I'm sure he hadn't actually stopped. Of course And was like, okay, now we have to move on. And she had this question of, is infidelity abusive? And this to me is an example of a red herring. Because I have a problem with this idea that infidelity is the worst thing you can do in a relationship. Because I Mm -hmm. feel that it is often weaponized against women. Mm. Of you throw up that she cheated and suddenly she deserves whatever he did. I think that... Couples can have all kinds of sexual arrangements and they can recover from infidelity, just like they can recover from lots of other things. But it requires mm-hmm. accountability and it requires love. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that that's, that's the real issue is, is, is that's what needs to happen when there's infidelity. It's what needs to happen when there is household chore inequality. And what I see a lot is women will come to me and say, well, you know, I talked to my husband and things are better. We have more equality. It's never fully equal, but it's improved. Mm -hmm. And now I'm mad about the 15 years of my life that I gave up before. And inevitably they say, am I just being hormonal and irrational? And it's like, of course you're mad about the 15 years you fucking gave up. He has to, it's not enough to do better in the future. You have to make up for the past. That's right. That's right. You know, we seem to understand this about like infidelity, but we don't, When someone has done something that, in my opinion, is much worse, which is stealing your life.
0: I would assert that if you're not fully atoning uh, for the past, you're actually not changing the future at all. This will be a temporary fix. This is a this is for show because they got caught. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Whenever I hear about a protective mom struggling to co-parent with an ex whose alcohol misuse endangers the child, I always recommend Soberlink. If you've been listening for a while, you know how much I love Soberlink. For those of you who are new, welcome and listen up. Soberlink is an alcohol monitoring system that is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide concrete proof that they're not drinking during parenting time. Soberlink uses facial recognition, and it's the only alcohol monitoring system that analyzes and approves or declines identity in real time, meaning that you'll be immediately notified if your co-parent attempts to have someone else use the device. Soberlink also has some of the most high-tech tamper-resistant features on the market, which prevents tampering with the device itself or trying to use alternate air sources like a balloon or an air pump. So basically, any way someone can think of to cheat the system, Soberlink can catch. If someone tests positive for alcohol, Soberlink requires additional tests to confirm the non-compliant results. If a positive test happens, the system's retest cycle begins, allowing the co-parent to retest every 15 minutes up to six times. Upon request from their in-house compliance department, a drinking evaluation is delivered to you to confirm the non-compliant result. Soberlink has two programs. There's a parenting time only program, and then there's a daily testing program. Both programs operate using scheduled testing. So for example, a testing schedule might be that you ask the co-parent to test before their parenting time and then during parenting time. And this helps you feel confident that your co-parent is parenting sober. And if there is a positive test result, you can write into your agreement that parenting time will be reevaluated. Soberlink's reports are admissible in court. And in fact, Soberlink is recommended by courts in all 50 states and in Canada. If you have any concerns about your child's safety while with the other parent, there is no better way than Soberlink to put your mind at ease. For an exclusive $50 off of your device and to download the resource I created with Soberlink, Checklist for a High Conflict Divorce, visit www.soberlink.com slash DSG. And now back to our show.
1: Yeah, you have to recognize the seriousness of the harm done. And, you know, I mean, this happens in healthy relationships all the time. If you say something mean or you do something mean, you don't get to just recite a script and move on. You have to correct the harm that you have done. That's
0: right. That's right. That's why an I'm sorry is not enough, right? A a true apology is one in which you really acknowledge the impact of the harm that you've done. Truly, you know, with empathy, like I imagine, I can only imagine how hard that must have been. I can imagine that you must have felt really taken advantage of and, and robbed. Only if somebody acknowledges the, that depth, can you count on that actually them amending their behavior? But when somebody who cheats then says, but it's over now. So you, you need to get over it they are taking zero accountability for the impact that that had on your life and your emotions. Right. And, well, and like, do again. I'll give you
1: an example. Like I'll give you an example from my own life. So, and this isn't even someone doing something wrong. It's just working for balance in a relationship. So I have a neurodivergent child who mm-hmm. for complicated reasons that I've written about on Substack, I had to attend kindergarten with her this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I work full time, you know, I mean, I was, I was working from the kindergarten classroom. It was brutal. And, you know, there were times that like, I did not handle it well and was very stressed and all of that. Um, I have now graduated from kindergarten. I'm very proud to report. Congratulations, Um, mama. I know. But my husband recognizes that this was a huge sacrifice that I made for our family and that I've lost a lot of time. I've lost a lot of sleep. I've lost a lot of sanity. And so he's just kind of let me run wild, you know, like (laughs) when we have like a family schedule and when like I sleep in past the time I'm supposed to take the kids, he's not saying anything. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we're kind of like spending the weekends doing things I want to do. You know, he's pressured me, pressure is not the right word, encouraged me to do less of my like paid client-based work and more of my feminist work. Cause he's like, Mm -hmm. you know, you've done all this work already, like take the summer and build up the feminism stuff. Like, you know, and so this is like an example of someone who didn't even do something wrong, but who just, you know, benefited from me doing something that he couldn't do, um, trying to work to compensate me going forward. Now, imagine if for like years and years and years, I had to attend kindergarten and like, he was destroying the house and, you know, we were living in filth and he wasn't cooking and all of that. Um, like he would owe me, he would owe me that time back because mm-hmm. like time's the most important thing we have.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's so hard. Cause I don't want to be like, your husband is so extraordinary because like on the one hand, In today's society, like he totally is. And also, like, what the fuck? Why should that be extraordinary? Yeah. Right? Why should it be extraordinary for somebody to actually look at the sacrifices and the work and the labor that we do and say, gosh, honey, you're doing so much. Here, let me, let me help in these ways. Right. Maybe you know he can't he can't show up. Your your work is more home based and a little bit more flexible. So you're the one who went to kindergarten, but like that doesn't mean that you know he he sees it as we need to we need to balance these scales.
1: Yeah, well, and I think you know I think it's okay to say that it is extraordinary. I mean, my I I love my husband. My husband is a wonderful person for many Mm -hmm. reasons, and one of them is that he, in this society that has enculturated him from birth to see women as servants that he doesn't treat me that way that shouldn't be an exceptional thing but it is but right, the flip side right. of that and like the thing that i think that men need to hear is it's not all giving stuff up like being an extraordinary husband gets you an extraordinary wife it gets you a better life it gets you less conflict it gets you more sex mm-hmm, it gets that's you that's right it gets you more happiness and like Why wouldn't you want more happiness? You know, like,
0: are you really, when
1: you're dying, going to be sad that you didn't play more video games while your wife, you know, sacrificed more for you? Or are you going to look back and be like, wow, I I had a good marriage and happy kids. And like, I did
0: it. Yeah. Right. Well, it's, and because what they're giving up is power and control. And for most men these days, that is the worst thing in the world. That's what they've been indoctrinated to believe.
1: Most men are not actually heterosexual. Most women most men are not actually sexually attracted to women. They want to impress men and they want to have a wife as a servant and like as a sex doll. Hmm. Right.
0: That's interesting. So when you say they're not heterosexual, what does that what do you mean by that? Like I mean any, they're gay? any woman.
1: um, I don't know. I think that, you know, if you look at how men talk about women, mm-hmm. they're grossed out by oral sex. They're grossed out by women's bodies. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, they they don't like the way that women are. They don't like the things that women say. They don't feel that they should have to sacrifice for women. It seems clear to me that most men don't actually like women, except right. to the extent that women can do things for them. Mm-hmm. And I think that we need to start calling that what it is, you know, because it, saying that is also just kind of a way of, like, weaponizing toxic masculinity against them. You know, like, oh, bro, mm-hmm. like it seems like you're not actually straight. Um, but <laughs> I, I think that it's true. And I actually, I did this thing last week where I decided to listen to a bunch of, like, Manosphere podcasts in the car oh, last week. Oh, oh God. my God. Oh, God. But they're all the same. They uh-huh. all talk about what matters most with men is what other men think. And that is what makes someone a high value man and that men should try to impress men. They all are fucking in love with men. They want to spend their time with men. They want to impress men. I think they probably want to fuck men. I, you know, women are just accessories. Um, and, and that seems to me like the extreme result of patriarchy where you spend your whole life hearing that women don't really have any value. Um, why would you be particularly interested in, in women or their needs or any of it? Right.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think it also speaks to like their understanding or their um, definition of what a relationship is, right? Because, yeah. mm-hmm. right. Be- a- a- and maybe this is sort of an more of an ancient kind of um, uh, primal thing, right? Where I'm just thinking, like, think of like ancient Greece, where like there's it is this like homoeroticism, but it's in the open. Yeah, but yeah. also women are are highly devalued, right? So I don't right. know. Yeah, this goes back. I mean, I, I mean, think that we centuries.
1: have that. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think we have that now, and we have this thing where men just want to impress other men, and you don't impress other men by being a good spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. It, I, it's just, it's very strange to me. And I think that most men are not fit to be married. I think most women are with men who don't actually love them and who see them as replaceable. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that we really need to get like really clear about that and clear about marriage as a huge and dangerous gamble that is really not worth undertaking for most women.
0: Yeah. Mm. Mm. So I guess this kind of brings us to quiet quitting. Yeah. (laughs) So say, say a little bit about that. Cause I love it.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, the really awful tragic thing about these bad marriages is that once you are in a bad marriage, it is really difficult to get out. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, men will weaponize the court system against you to the greatest possible extent. Mm -hmm. If you have been a stay at home mother, that is not going to be to your credit. You are not going to get compensated for that. Um, You're still probably going to have to deal with something close to 50 50 custody. And, you know, and, and, and so for a lot of women, there's a permanent loss because they've been out of the workforce and lost skills and all of that. So there's, There's huge gambles. And and then the other part of it is that even if you have a spouse who doesn't weaponize the court system against you, um, we live in a really financially challenged time and most people cannot afford to support two houses. You're going to have economic losses. You're not going to get the child support you deserve because it's not there. Your your spouse can't pay it. Um, And then so there's that aspect. There's the fact that a lot of women face abuse when they leave. There are a lot of reasons not to leave. And I would never discourage a woman from leaving. But, you know, women are authorities on their own life. And a lot of women know that it's not safe for them to leave. And so Mm -hmm. that leaves them with they're trapped with this man who's shitty. And what do you do? And my answer is quiet quitting is the way to make the most of like second best. You know, the best case scenario is that you leave. But if you can't leave. How do you make a meaningful life out of that? You know, how do you find ways to get through? And I think for most people, the advice needs to be find a way to leave when the kids are gone, build up your skills now, please go back to work, whatever work is like, go back, please, so that you you can have a job and you can have a source of income Mm -hmm. and separate yourself from your husband as much as possible. And he's going to get mad and he's going to get abusive and he's going to insult you. But you have to frame it the same way that you would as some lunatic on the corner screaming things at you. Uh-huh. You know, if, if someone right. who's having a mental health crisis on the corner mm-hmm. screams at me that I'm a worthless slut, that doesn't make me cry myself to sleep. I'm just like, he's he's having a problem. And yes, that problem is right. not me. And your husband is the same because he's mentally ill on patriarchy. So, like, whatever he says to you, it, it doesn't actually matter. You have to emotionally separate yourself such that whatever bullshit he spews, like, just doesn't count. That's right.
0: That's right. In in whatever way you need to. And that, you know, that could be, um, you know, how, how do women support themselves in this, right? Because it's a, it's a mental health challenge for women to continue to live in this abuse and not take it personally. Right. You are, you're putting serious boundaries around yourself emotionally. Pia Melody talks about boundaries as, you know, the the ones that we set around ourselves. It's like a, like a bell jar around us that's also flexible, Mm -hmm. right? It moves with us. But I love that idea that there is this container that, that covers us, um, that is flexible, but like it's impenetrable. And that's yeah. sort of how you have to be, but when you've been abused for as long as so many women have been, how do they how do they they take that like how do they make that leap from right everything they do hurts me to yeah, I'm impenetrable
1: and it's it is so hard, and there is there are not easy solutions that I just have to go off on a tangent about this really quickly. Mm-hmm. A lot of people email me and say, well, you know, you tell people to be really careful about who they marry or not to get married. But like, what if you're already stuck in one of these situations? And, Uh you know, the truth is, I don't have a solution for every situation. That is why marriage is so dangerous. You know, you can't will yourself out of an oppressive system. You can't therapy yourself out of an oppressive system. There's not always a way out of it. That's right. And, we have to be very honest about that reality. So mm-hmm. so there's that mm-hmm. part. But then going yeah. back to what you said, to like actually giving hope to the people who are already trapped, it's really hard because a component of abuse is convincing you, one, that you deserve it. And two, after you've decided that you don't deserve it, that it's not actually happening. And the fact that you think it's happening means you deserve it. Um. So I think <laughs> you have to get in with like, a really good radicalized therapist Mm -hmm. who's not into a bunch of like new age bullshit about rise above your circumstances and nurture him to do better. And none of that. No, none of that. Like None of that. You have to, you have to get someone who really understands these dynamics and who can work with you on emotionally separating yourself. You have to build a support network. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. if it's, Mm -hmm. it's the moms at your kid's school, you know, the church, if you have a decent church, you know, you, you have to, find it somewhere. You have to That's get really right. aggressive about building that support network. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to build an identity outside of your marriage. Um, you know, get a hobby, go somewhere. If you have any kind of financial resources, you have to get childcare so that you can get away. If you don't have financial resources, again, you have to build that support system so you can trade childcare with other mothers. Yeah. You know, you have to get really resourceful and getting resourceful begins with the insight that your life matters. And you being healthy is a necessary prerequisite to your kids being as healthy as possible. And, and you deserve to be healthy and you deserve to have a break and you deserve to have people who love you. So, you know, work on it and it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, it may not be perfect. You know, right. you, you may spend a lot of time still feeling awful, but if you can even just get, you know, an hour a week where you don't feel awful, that's an improvement. Mm.
0: That's right. And the next week, it might be two hours, right? Like, it's, it, this is not a radical 180 shift um, for anyone. For anyone, it wasn't for me. It wasn't, right? It, this is incremental and it takes, it takes, you know, baby steps one at a time. And, and eventually it becomes more of who you are and the air you breathe. But that takes intentionality and, an effort. Yeah. And, and it's
1: hard. It's really hard. Like I don't want to, I don't want to discount how hard it is. And I don't want people to feel guilty or ashamed because it's so hard. And and because like, you know, finding community, just that part is really hard. Um yes. but it is worth doing whatever you can to build something of value and some safe place for yourself because eventually the kids will be gone. And then leaving is not as dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I think one thing that may help people is to see this as a plan to get out. You know, I'm going to quiet quit. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to start earning money. I'm going to start saving money. And I'm going to like get ready for that good future that may be
0: 5, 10, 15 years
1: ahead, but like it's coming.
0: Mm -hmm. That's right. It's a long-term plan. It's a long game that you're playing. And, you know, phase one is protecting your sanity and reclaiming your sense of self. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's one of the hardest things to do. Certainly, you know, you, you, we always say like, you can't heal from trauma that you're still living in. Right. And so, but that doesn't mean that I guess I would rather say you can't heal from trauma. You're still um, sort of participating in not that that's a, not that Abuse is you're not participating, right? But if yeah. you're quiet quitting, you are putting up that shield, right? Right. Well, it's and, about making
1: things a little better. And and a metaphor that I like to think of is, you know, I think most of us have at some point in our lives encountered an abused or neglected child. And, you know, for an abused or neglected child to have one loving adult in their life will not fix all of the abuse or neglect. No. But it will make their lives a little better. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. your friend who never has lunch at school, like you sending an additional lunch for your kid's friend, is it going to fix all their problems? But it's going to mean they get lunch. And I think that women need to use the same models for themselves of what is the small lifeline that I can create for myself? Who is is my safe adult? Who is my source of lunches? You know, what is
0: my... Plan to ultimately get out. I love that. I hope that that's sort of what I created my Facebook community. It's certainly what we create in um, in my programs, and I think that you create that in your writing, right? It's a place where people go to say, "I'm not fucking crazy. Like this is real. This is yeah. happening to me." Because, as you said you know the first thing that abusers want you to believe is that you believe it or that it's not happening <laughs> right and then therefore right. you deserve you deserve it right like so just reading and and you know reading your work um listening to this podcast i think gives people that first grain of oh fuck i'm not crazy this is happening yeah. to me yeah this is real well, and, and to just be yeah.
1: able to vocalize it. Like I have mm-hmm. a couple of women who are not, you know, like I have I have some followers who have gotten to know, and mm-hmm. these aren't really followers who I know, but I know their names. Mm-hmm. And they'll just kind of message me every now and again with reports about the bullshit their husbands are doing. For a while, I felt a lot of pressure to like counsel them and reassure mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And I, I told this to my husband, he was like, I think they just... You know, want to tell someone. I think they just want you to listen. And, and I think that is the case. They just want someone outside of the system to hear what is happening. So, you know, even just, you know, having one person who's not a part of it, a good therapist, a good friend, you know, a barista at Starbucks who you like get to know, just, just anyone.
0: Yeah. That's right. That's right. Ugh. We just need to be heard. You know, I mean we just need to be heard and to know that we're not alone. And uh, right. and you know, it feels that feels in some senses quite trite, but it's also really profound.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, I mean the other kind of like trite thing is like the personal is political, like understanding that it's not, you know, your husband's brain has been cannibalized by patriarchy. His mm-hmm. he's he's severely sick. And so it's, it's not really a person you're dealing with. It's patriarchy, like whatever person he would have become was destroyed by living in a sexist society. So like, it's okay to miss him and be sad about what could have happened or like things about him and just recognize that like, this is a person who's broken Mm.
0: and the, and the danger with that is that what i see all the time is women saying like oh he's broken right it's trauma it's patriarchy he's not really this way um and then having more compassion for that than they do uh you know protection for themselves
1: yeah and so it's yeah.
0: okay to understand that they have been cannibalized by this um by the system and also to say i also don't want to, I don't no longer want to be a victim of that.
1: Right. And, and to be clear, like he doesn't deserve compassion. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean,
1: you know, I like to think about, you know, my husband and I have been involved in like anti-racism work for a long time. And I think that it is helpful to look sometimes to that model to learn things. Like, I'm a white person. We can understand as white people that racism has warped our brains and it's made us reflexively Uh think shitty things. Uh But, like, I don't deserve compassion for internalizing racist ideology. That's my problem to fix. A man doesn't deserve compassion for internalizing patriarchal ideology. It's, you know, we like to play this game of like patriarchy hurts men too. And, like, it does. But, like, only a little bit. I mean, patriarchy exists exists because it benefits men. So like all all these poor boys who can't cry and blah, like, okay, they can't cry, but like they have everything else. Like let's, let's get real that like patriarchy benefits men and giving up patriarchy means giving things up and men don't think they should have to give things up for women.
0: Right. Right. The benefits to them certainly don't outweigh what they're giving up. They're not interested. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like
1: not compassion. It's it's self-compassion to look at him and to say, this isn't because of me. It's not because I'm unworthy of love. It's not because I'm not pretty enough or smart enough or whatever he wants to tell you. It's because his brain has rotted and Mm. he's allowed it to happen because it benefits him.
0: That's right. Zahn, as always, I feel like we could go on forever because I love talking to you <laughs> about this stuff.
1: <laughs> oh, I have one other thing I want to yes! say.
0: Oh, my God. Please, please.
1: I have had the most interesting thing happen to me over the last year, which is that, you know, I'm a child of divorce. Mm-hmm. A lot of my friends are children of divorce. And because most of us are like middle to upper middle class, a lot of us grew up in families that were middle to upper middle class, which means high conflict divorces that involve the family court system. Okay. So what's happening with a lot of my friends is a lot of my friends are just now, Mm -hmm. parents are dying, they're -hmm. going through parents' possessions, or they're just getting curious about their childhood and they're finding out what their fathers did to their mothers in family court. Then they're becoming estranged from their fathers. Mm. And so- Wow, that's interesting. I just want people to know that like, Kids know what's going on and they eventually find out the truth. And there often is justice down the line. Like that, yes. mm-hmm. that shitty ex who's abusing you may eventually be someone in assisted living who has no visitors because his kids have found out who he really is.
0: I say that all. I say it all the time that like this does this. It all comes out eventually. Yeah, it yeah. really does. And and for ki- you know parents who are like, but I just want my kids to know they will. Yeah. And, and I think they do know
1: more than they let on. I mean, I certainly did when I sure. was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, kids, kids figure things out. Kids are smarter than we give them credit for. And adults definitely figure things out. We
0: all want to understand right. our childhoods. That's right. That's right. Eventually, we start asking the really hard questions. And if we don't have anyone to ask, we start looking. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Zahn. Where can everybody find you? Not like they don't already read you <laughs> all the time, but everybody needs to subscribe to your Substack,
1: y'all. Yeah, so so Substack is kind of the gateway. If you go to my Substack, you'll find everything else. So it's Zahn, Zawn Z A W N dot Substack S U B S T A C K dot com and. It's like a blog slash newsletter, but there's an about page where you can find my Facebook and my Instagram. And I have like a support group and there's all kinds of ways to see
0: what I'm doing. Amazing. And I highly recommend that you actually subscribe and become a paid subscriber because um, Zon does subscriber only um, newsletters that are phenomenal. And because you put so much, you put so much out into the world, you deserve to be paid for it. (laughs) (laughs) As <laughs> well, I thank say. you <laughs> <laughs> like when you moved to Substack I was like uh duh <laughs> so um everybody subscribe please Zon, thank you so much for coming back on as always uh you're amazing and an incredible um amount of just your knowledge and insight is just so inspiring thank you thank you all right well this has been awesome thank you so much